Hello, hello, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. I'm sure you know the drill. Welcome to your Sunday. It's a little chilly out here up in Canada. So I, um, well, I checked the news this morning. And uh, whenever Candace Owens is using exclamation marks, it is well worth checking out. So we're going to have a little bit of a chat about Kanye West. Ye? Is it yay or ya? Or ye? I assume it's ye, Kanye. Maybe it's yay. Um, I guess I would be Anne. If I just took the last two letters of my first name, you could refer to me as Anne or I guess Ain, like Ain Rand. Anyway, uh, welcome everybody. Uh, join us uh, on this uh, cool, it's really, man, it is autumn out there today. You know, there's this kind of uh, chill in the air that you you take a breath in and you feel like you're just injecting Freon into your bone marrow. <laughs> so it's one of these days where it's nice to be in a warm, toasty studio with a, oh, should we do a simultaneous sip or is that copyrighted? Anyway, so um, uh, thank you uh, for joining. Thank you for your kind words. I hope you're doing well. And um, yeah, okay, so <laughs> is Kanye West insane? Yes, winter is coming. <laughs> That's good. I didn't really think about that. Uh, winter is coming. Uh, so I'm going to just do a little bit of a chat. I certainly will take the super chats in a bit. But uh, right now, I just wanted to do a little bit of a chat because for those of you who don't know, listen, I've this doesn't really matter because it's like a big part of my life, but um, I have had a pretty ambivalent relationship. Oh, coffee. Uh, I have had a bit, of, a bit of an ambivalent relationship with Saturday Night Live. I think some of the stuff they've done has been very funny uh, over the years, but I think they last broke me. Oh, they had Captain Picard on. Oh, what's the name of that actor? Jean-Luc Picard. They had him on and they did some show about poop and, and some skit. And it was just like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. And the worst thing with comedy these days is just how boringly predictable it is. You know, men aren't that smart. Women are wonderful. Uh, Trump is is bad. Uh, uh, you know, like uh, all whites are goofy. Like it's it's just so it's so boringly predictable. And yeah, so Kanye West was on Saturday Night Live last night, and let's talk a little bit about that because I just thought it was pretty pretty wild. So Adam Driver was in. Uh, who ever since I accidentally saw, um, oh, that show Girls. Oh, oh, man. What a, it's like dipping your face in an acid-laced tunnel to hell itself. But Adam Driver was in. And of course, you know, Adam Driver, you know, probably can on the left. He's in the whole Star Wars rebooting and so on. So what happened was Adam Driver was guest hosting and Kanye, I think, was a last minute replacement for Ariana Grande. And he grabbed the mic and then he... I don't know. It was it was like a come to Jesus moment for sure, because sort of reminded me of that really wild scene in the Blues Brothers movie with James Brown. And, uh, you know, they had the organ music going and he was really doing the the pulpit thing. And, I, you know, it's funny because I know he's a rapper. I think he can sing a little bit, too. But uh, so he comes out and he starts talking about. How they were the, the producers were were trying to prevent him from wearing his MAGA hat. Mm, very interesting. So, yeah, they're trying to complain that they were trying to bully him and so on. And it's uh, pretty wild stuff. It's pretty wild stuff because uh, what happens is um, 
Can I do a video on the Kalurgi plan? Sorry, I'm being distracted by all that. Don't, if you can hold off of the super chats just until I've done my, uh, I'll be able to see it more, more clearly. But uh, can I do a video on the Kalurgi plan? Uh, I've heard about it quite a bit. I have not done any in-depth research into it, but I will certainly put it on the list. It sounds interesting. But, uh, you know, when it comes to Jewish stuff, Jews have a lot of variety in their thinking, and you don't want to say what one crazy person who's Jewish says and says this has something to do with Judaism as a whole because there's so many different flavors and so on. But anyway, uh, I will certainly keep that in mind, and I appreciate that. So, yeah, back to Kanye. Hey, look, I finally, you know, this is the great thing about live streaming, my friends. This is the beautiful thing about live streaming. I finally have a good excuse for my tangents. Oh, see, it's always live streaming in my brain, just scroll, scroll, scroll. So it's great to have a good excuse for my tangents. And uh, yay. So, so Kanye was talking about how the, um, the media is so like 90% liberal and uh, Hollywood is 90% liberal. So it's kind of easy for everyone to think it's just one story or one way. And I love this phrase. You know, people were saying that he was saying, people are saying to me that I'm in a sunken place. That is a really great phrase, a sunken place. Because you're, you know, sunken place. I think of a ship, you know, like the Titanic, it goes down to a sunken place. There are bodies in there, it's crustaceans, there's barnacles, there's fish swimming in and out of eye socks. And so it's a great, it's a sunken place. So there's a period of inactivity and being below the surface, but it's also a place of treasure. I love that ambiguity about the uh, the description. It's a sunken place. So often, you know, the pirate ship goes down with all the treasure and the doubloons and, and all of that in place. So I like that. And so he did talk about bias in the media. And he said, uh, I want to cry right now. Black man in America supposed to keep what you're feeling inside right now. The blacks always want Democrats. You know, it's like the plan they did to take the fathers out of the home and put them on welfare. Does anybody know about that? That's a democratic plan. And uh, just uh, amazing, amazing stuff. He's, you know, he says he's going to run for president in 2020, reaffirms that, calls for a dialogue, not a diatribe. That is some good stuff. That is some um, Johnny Cochran compression uh, and and sing song. And, you know, it's beautiful. So I think that was cool. He said in his speech, you know, this is a respectful thing where he says, you know, thank thanks uh, everyone for giving me a platform. I, I know some of y'all don't agree with me, but I appreciate that. And that's really, uh, really cool. So that was very interesting. Reading the media this morning, talking about how, they just, they can't help themselves almost, right? They can't help themselves because what he's saying, they can't say, well, what are you talking about? The media is 90% liberal. It's actually, in, in Washington, it's closer to what, 97, 98% of the reporters donated to to Hillary in the last campaign or something like that. So um, they can't, ref uh, any facts, right? They can and, and you know, the fact that uh, the Democrats uh, are, are paying um, poor families and a lot of black families are paying them only if there's no father present in the household. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that is pretty uh, pretty interesting. Curtis Miller says, "Dragon energy against the Democratic sanctuary." Hmm. Yeah, some some people call it a plantation, but uh, now let me just so okay. I, this may be because I'm 52. <laughs> like maybe that window, I just I vaulted from 51 to 52. So now I just don't understand contemporary culture. Maybe I have become like my mother who continued to refer to a CD player as a gramophone. 
I guess for a lot of the younger listeners now, a CD player is pretty much indistinguishable from a gramophone. But if someone could explain to me in the chats, I will have a look here. If someone could explain to me in the chats, why why was he singing and dancing in a, in a Perrier bottle? <laughs> I don't understand that. I mean, the song was okay, I guess. But uh, it helped me, people. Uh, give me the bat signal from youth. Um, why, why was he in a Perrier bottle? I mean, is is that paid product placement? I think the guy's worth like what hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't think that um, he really needs the product placement advertisements. I didn't really figure out. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody has any uh, any answers, but uh, it seemed a bit odd to me. Because, you know, one thing that's dynamic about rap, and there's a couple of rap songs that I like. Um, Where is the Love is one of my favorites. But, well, and Gold Digger is pretty good. No one knows. Is that right? Nobody has any clue. A white privilege bottle. Um, I just, yeah, I don't. I thought there was going to be some, you know, maybe some spritz coming out the top at the end or something like that. And uh, you titled your stream Kanye West, yet you aren't hip to pop culture. Well, listen. I'm I'm happy if if nobody knows it, then I'm not out of the loop as far as pop culture goes. So if if nobody knows what the hell the Perrier bottle was about, then I'm not out of the loop. But if I am, um, maybe it was a, a reference to the Sting song, Message in a Bottle. I don't know. Anyway, who knows? But uh, it was – now, l- let me tell you why I think it's important, and not just for the standard reasons – it exposes the media who said Kanye West went on a bizarre rant. It's like it's not a bizarre, it's not a bizarre rant. The guy's making arguments, he's quoting some facts, and it's not a bizarre rant. It's only a bizarre, and he's really confirming. They're confirming it, right? Because when Kanye West says the media is overwhelmingly liberal, then when the media says, Well, it's just a bizarre rant, we don't understand what he's saying, it's weird what he's on about, nobody gets it. Everyone hated it in the audience. He was booed. People scowled. Driver walked off. And it's like, they're just, he's absolutely confirming everything that he's saying. So that I thought was, he's so rich, he can dance in a giant bottle. Yeah, I guess that's true. But so he's really confirming what the media is saying. And the media was saying that the audience didn't like it. That's not an argument. <laughs> the audience didn't like it. Well, of course, the audience is going to SNL, so they're used to that kind of stuff. They're used to, uh, you know, very, very lefty stuff. And so he very much, the, the media very much confirmed what Kanye West was talking about. And I'll tell you this, too. I mean, the man has mad charisma, obviously, no question. And he's very talented musically and, and great with language and, and turns of phrase and so on. But I'll tell you, I mean, the the black guys who were standing behind him, you know, in that kind of Malcolm X vaguely bodyguardish pose, they were smiling because his enthusiasm and his affection for, you know, Kanye West, standing for the West, that was going to be the original title of the live stream. But I um it seemed people seem to be quite positive. Of course they're a little shocked. Of course they're a little shocked because that's not the way things are supposed to roll. He was even talking about how the rappers are 90% liberal and that's pretty pretty wild so i thought it was a great moment and let me let me tell you why so clearly he has uh frack you money 
up the yazoo, right? There's no question. He's got just about as much as you could possibly imagine. So it's not for that. But here's the thing, you know, if you're an artist, you want the crowd to like you. You, The crowd has to like you. And, and I, you know, I fight this and I'm aware of this with, you know, now that I'm able to interact with the audience directly in this way, I'm sort of very, very happy about it. But um, I want you guys to like me. But this is the challenging thing. I want you guys to like me because if nobody likes me, then nobody's going to want you to listen to the show and I can't get philosophy out of the world. I want you to like me. But here's the thing. If I end up being a slave to your affection for me, then I can't bring you to the truth. So the only reason I want you to like me is so that you'll listen to me talk about philosophy, reason, evidence, arguments, and so on. And so if you like me only because... I say things that you want, I pander to you, I praise you and all of that kind of stuff. Well, that's not a very good reason to watch a philosophy show. So I want to be liked, but I want you to like the truth through me. I want to be the sort of clear pane of glass that uh, that occurs. So Kanye uh, works the audience, knows his audience, has been a rapper for, oh, man, I don't know, decades, I suppose. And so he wants the audience to like him. So to stand up there and go against the instincts of a performer to tell something to the audience that they just don't want to hear, that's not easy. And I really respect him for doing that. Uh, that is a powerful thing to do. And it very much goes against what the instincts of a performer is. Because, you know, a politician is usually trying to speak to a crowd. You know, like if you're a Democrat politician, you go out and then you say, oh, I'm going to have this rally and a whole bunch of people show up who like you. So you're usually speaking to people who like you politicians often will not go on shows where they're going to be challenged, where there's maybe hostility. So even for politicians, it's tough to speak to a crowd that doesn't like them. Uh, there's a great scene in the upcoming movie Hoaxed, which I'm I'm in. And I only say that not because, you know, you should watch watch um, watch it because I'm in it. But it's, if you like me, I, I think you'll you'll find the movie very, very powerful. Sorry, if you like philosophy through me, that's uh, I am I'm the wall on which the gallery hangs the picture called philosophy. So, so he did a very very powerful thing. He went against the instincts of a performer. He challenged his audience, which is a very very tough thing for a performer to do. And you know, I have been occasionally somewhat dismissive of the Kardashians, and <laughs> I'm not going to say that I'm entirely wrong. But when you see Kim Kardashian, who's married to Kanye West, and they have conversations about this kind of stuff all the time. I'm actually one degree of separation. I've done shows with Candace Owens. She's Anyway, so she talks about the Armenian uh, genocide. That's Kim Kardashian. She's Armenian, of course. Um, and they have conversations about what's good for America, what's good for, in particular, the blacks in America, and the fact that they're willing to challenge the two of them, two extraordinary powerhouses of cultural shift and cultural phenomena, the fact that they're willing to challenge narratives is really powerful. And it's not easy to do. You know, I've known some people who've made a lot of money, and it doesn't fundamentally change who you are. It doesn't, like everyone thinks it will, but the studies have shown pretty clearly that if you get beyond sort of a, like a bare minimum regarding income, it doesn't really make that much of a difference regarding who you are. So I um, I really respect that they're doing it. They don't have to do it. It's going to cost them money. 
uh, like without a doubt, it's going to cost them money. It's going to cost them support. It's going to cost them, may even cost them friendships. And is he going to be allowed back onto SNL anytime soon? Well, um, it's going to harm his career and people who are willing to take a bullet to their finances, to their career, to their opportunities, to their possibilities, to their bookings and so on, you know, respect. What can I tell you? That is some powerful stuff. And, um, I think it's fairly hard to overestimate just what kind of impact this can have. Because for people, you know, if you like someone, this is the amazing thing about, you know, I just kind of learning all this stuff as I become uh, sort of a public influencer. But as you, if you like someone, then it's hard to just really dismiss what it is that they have to say. And that is, um, uh, that is uh, really tough for people to, to figure out because people like him so much. It's really tough to just dismiss what he has to say. So people may start looking up things and say, well, you know, the effect of the welfare state has been to destroy the black family, which in the 1930s was stronger than the white family. It has been to promote uh, illegitimacy uh, to the point where I think Candace Owens was telling me that like 60 60 percent of black babies are killed in the womb and and, uh, 75 percent of black kids are born into uh, fatherless households. I mean, it's just. Uh, it's terrible stuff. It's terrible stuff. So I just really wanted to put out, you know, mad props. Uh, it, it's a hard thing to do, to stand up. I remember years ago, I went and gave a speech in Brazil where I was telling a bunch of politicians how terrible the state was. It's kind of tough to stand up and and say stuff that is directly oppositional to most of the uh, beliefs and passions of your audience. So as far as mad props go, Kim Kardashian, things like <laughs> I'm not sure I was ever going to say, but hey, you follow the evidence where it is. Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Great job. Now, Matt Damon. Oh, my gosh. Matt freaking Damon. Talented actor. Don't get me wrong. Entirely corrupted by Hollywood. You know, it's been one of the great sadnesses in a way. Actually, I shouldn't say that's a bit hyperbole. It's been a minor oof seeing Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, who had such promise and such brilliance with Goodwill Hunting basically become, well, from Ben Affleck, like a bloated, drunken, divorced, gambling addict mess. And for um, Matt Damon, uh, Matt Damon, uh, you know, uh, you know, pound for dollar about the most successful actor of the modern age, because they've done all these studies, like you get the most bang for your buck by hiring Matt Damon is a very talented actor, no question. But, you know, watching him do this cheesy shtick, where he was playing Brad Kavanaugh. Oh, look, he's drinking a lot. You know, just constant references to to drinking and so on. Um, you know, he, I'm an optimist. I'm a keg half full kind of guy. Like just just cheesy bad jokes, not clever, not not deep. I mean, I'm willing to laugh at people who I sympathize with if the jokes are good. You know, but uh, they're just they were just yeah, just no cheap shot dumb jokes. He drinks. And there's two things regarding Matt Damon that I think are somewhat important. Uh, I've heard that uh, there are indications that uh, he knew some stuff about Harvey Weinstein before um, he was uh, Weinstein was outed by Ronan Farrow. You remember when Ronan Farrow published stuff that was verifiable? And I don't know, kind of <laughs> tough to get on the moral high horse regarding that kind of stuff when, you know, well, he's an actor, right? He, he plays moral people, I guess, not, not so much, not so much a lived experience. But the other thing too, so you could look up an uh, interview from a year or two ago with Matt Damon 
I'm very much paraphrasing here, but the interview goes something like this. He says, look, uh, if I've got a $100 million movie coming out or I've got a movie coming out that I'm, I'm personally very invested in that I really care about, and someone says, hey, you, you know, Matt Damon, you grabbed my ass and stuck your tongue down my throat. You know, in the past, we'd sit down for mediation. We'd figure something out. But he says, now with social media, these stories go viral. They, and I, it's like, I don't care. I will spend 10 years in court. I will spend $10 million because you cannot take my good name. I've worked too hard to preserve it. So... You see, when it's Matt Damon being accused of something, he will fight it and he will be noble and he will defend his good name. And, and that's when it's Matt Damon. When it's Brett Kavanaugh, then he will go on with a bunch of chortling idiots and giggle at this guy whose life is being destroyed by unverified accusations. So to hell with you, Matt Damon. I'm just saying that right now. To hell with you, Matt Damon. Maybe you can go back to Mars and find conscience or ethics or something like that so that okay one other thing i just wanted to mention here before i get to the the questions and and i appreciate that i'll keep my eyes on the uh, uh on the chat in just a sec so if, if you want to help out the show freedomainradio.com slash donate is is gratefully accepted and uh, uh if you want to help of course there's super chats here women ah, it's this funny thing one of the most powerful intellectual exercises that I learned many years ago, there used to be there used to be a restaurant, I don't know if it's still there, called the Daily Planet, which was at Young and Eglinton. And I have this great memory of, I don't know, I was about 19 or 20. And I had a couple of bucks in my pocket, which was not the most common thing in those in those days. And I couldn't afford a meal, but I could afford, they had a really great appetizer, which was like some cream cheese phyllo pastry thing, you know, back back when you could eat those things because you were young. But I remember picking, uh, I had a book of, of Voltaire's uh, essays and I was sitting, it was a beautiful summer's night. I was sitting on the patio of great light uh, and uh, I had uh, um, a, nice, uh, a nice latte uh, and uh, I was eating this pastry and I was reading Voltaire, ah, just a glorious little encapsulated bubble of a perfect evening that uh, is is just great. And I remember reading this sort of exercise that was somewhat common at the time. I'll give you a little bit of sort of intellectual history back then. So when Europe hit the new world, I mean, sometimes literally, sadly, but when Europe hit the new world, they brought back you know, they were called barbarians or mostly called savages at the time. They would bring back the indigenous population from North America and they would get a view of their own society through the eyes of the natives in, in North America and other places who'd never had anything to do with their society. And that's pretty fascinating. I mean, it's the basically it's the equivalent of we bring back space aliens who are sentient and, and conscious and can you evaluate our society? And there were a lot of essays and stories and sometimes even novels written, which was the view of Europe from the eyes of the, quote, savages of, of the indigenous populations that they had discovered. And it's a great way to figure out what's insane about your own society. So, you know, they were mocking the genuflections of, of the aristocracy and some of the ornate rituals and so on, because, they, you know, when you grow up in, in a particular culture, it seems like reality to you, right? But if you grow up in something completely different, then it's very foreign to you. And it was a very powerful exercise. And it actually did quite a bit to dislodge some of the more irrational thought processes in Western civilization. 
So the reason I'm telling you all of that, which I remember reading in that wonderful evening in the Daily Planet, low those 30 plus years ago, man, you never think you're going to get old, but it sure beats the alternative. But the reason I'm saying this is because when I think of space aliens coming down, and look, I mean, if, if, you, if you read the foreign press, <laughs> you read the foreign press, and I mean, they all think that Americans have lost their minds, and that's wild. But anyway, <laughs> can you imagine uh, all of the Muslims looking at America at the moment saying, wow, we could adopt Western legal standards. We could adopt Western approaches to uh, claims of sexual abuse and assault, but I'm not sure it's a great ad for Western systems at the moment. But if you think, so some space alien comes down and he reads about all these women who say there are these desperately terrible men out there, these, these rapists, these patriarchs, these assaulters, these abusers, these pedophiles, terrible men out there, right? And then if I were the space alien, I'd say, okay, well, what is it that most determines how a human being turns out? I mean, outside of certain aspects of free will, what are the two biggest predictors. And the biggest predictors, of course, are genetics and environment. The biggest predictors are genetics and environment. Philosophy, of course, would aim to eclipse that over time to the degree that is possible, but genetics and environment. So then they'd look at the West and they'd say, wow, there's a lot of, these women say that there's so many terrible men around. Right? Genetics, you got environment. So the genetics, who chooses the genetics? In other words, who is in control of reproduction in the West? And the answer, of course, is women, right? Women are in control of reproduction in the West at two levels. One is that um, most sex is voluntary <laughs> for, for women, and so they get to choose who they have sex with because they control the supply, right? Men are automatically in demand in general when they're young. Women control the supply of sexual access. So women control... Who has sex? And then women control who gets born because abortion is legal throughout Western countries. So in order for a man to grow to adulthood, well, in order for a boy to be born at all, he has to pass the first hurdle, well, I guess the first two hurdles. Number one is the woman has to have sex with the man. And number two, she has to bring the baby to term rather than abort the baby as is tragically common. And that's women who are in charge of that, right? The woman can get accidentally pregnant, accidentally or accidentally on purpose pregnant, and then she can force the man to be stuck in baby jail for sometimes 18, 20, 24 years, depends on, on how long it may go and higher education, the man's commitment and so on. But the man has no control. Once the woman gets pregnant, he can't opt out. He can't say, listen, I don't want to have anything to do with this and all that. So this... Uh, yeah, James, I see your, sorry, just interrupt the story for just a sec. Um, I will uh, get to the super chats in a sec, just need a minute or two or three. So yeah, first two hurdles, have sex, be brought to term. Now the second, so that's the genetics, right? That's the genetics because when a woman chooses the man who impregnates her and chooses to bring that baby to term and have the baby be born, then she's choosing half the genetics of that baby. She's choosing the only half of the genetics that she can choose. She can't choose whether her own genetics get passed to a baby that grows in her womb because that's just going to be the way the genetics work. So half the genetics she has no choice over, the 100% of the genetics she has choice over, she's choosing by having sex with some particular guy. 
So if she has sex with a guy who's shifty, irresponsible, who's a criminal, who's low IQ, who's, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? If she chooses to have sex with a guy like that and chooses to bring that baby to term, then she is choosing the genetics that are going to be more likely to lead to a man being dysfunctional or criminal or abusive or negative or whatever. So women are in control 100% for the most part. 100% of the genetics that can be chosen are chosen by the woman. So women have 100% ownership over the genetics of the babies that they produce into the world, right? To the degree that it can be chosen, they choose it. And I know that there's exceptions in incest, rape, and so on, but in general. So that takes care of the genetics argument that women are very close to 100% in control of the genetics of the men that they produce. That's number one. And we know that there's no portion of personality that genetics does not influence. Personality as a whole, significantly impacted by genetics at every tested level in the known universe. So then we have the question of environment. Okay, so that's the genetics. What about environment? The space alien would say, what about environment? And then the answer would be, well, I guess the standard would be, okay, who controls the first five years of a child's life? First five years of when personality is formed, it's very tough to change anything after that. Like that's the bad news about personality. It's hard to change. The good news about personality is it's hard to change, which means if you go through a lot of hardship, you're probably going to, you know, write yourself and, you know, come back up to the general level of happiness that you have. So then the question would be, so women control virtually 100% of the genetics of uh, men who are produced and women, of course, boys and girls. So who controls the first five years of a child's life? the influential years, the most influential years. And the answer to that is uh, women, <laughs> women, women for the most part. And there are exceptions. I'm just talking about the general rule. So women are stay-at-home moms or women go back to work and put their kids in daycare. And, you know, I worked in a daycare for years as a teenager and I was the only guy, only guy, quite a few ladies around. And so... And then they, if they go to kindergarten, the vast majority of teachers of young children are women. So women control close to 100% of the genetics, and women control 90-plus percent of the environment. <laughs> so if men are being produced, like this is the basic argument, right? Personality habits, tendency towards criminality, and so on, there's a lot of genetics and environment involved. And we can't really talk about free will of fetuses, and we really can't talk about free will of toddlers because they're still learning any of these sorts of things. Free will doesn't really show up until much older, which is why we don't put kids in jail. So if women control the genetics and women control the environment, then how can women stand back and say, well, there's just all these terrible, incomprehensible men out there. We don't know where they came from or how they ended up so mean. I mean, they can do it. Of course, they can do it. But it's mental. It's embarrassing. It's ridiculous. It's false. It's false. And this is the kind of like women say, oh, I want to be empowered. I want to be empowered. Yeah. I want you to be empowered too. It just may not look exactly like you think it's going to look. Empowerment may be kind of a bit different from what you think it's going to look like. Empowerment is going to be, if there's a lot of evil in the world, and evil has a lot to do with genetics and environment, and women control the genetics and environment, then women control the spread and flow and creation of evil in the world. 
significantly, not exclusively, not exclusively, but significantly. Women choose who have sex. Women choose who get born. Women control the early childhood environment that so foundationally shapes personality. Stop complaining. Start fixing, ladies. I invite you. That's what they call empowerment. All right. <laughs> That's my two little intros. Uh, thanks, everyone. I'm going to just have a wee scroll back up here. Uh, and uh, if you would like to throw in a couple super chats, I would be most uh, grateful and will do my best to answer questions that uh, make sense to people. Now is the time. Uh, do you think radical socialists would take over U.S. in the next 200 years? Uh, I hate to sort of say, well, there's an inevitability. There may be an inevitability. I'm fighting it like heck, but uh, it's going to be a lot less than 200 years. It's going to be, they would be very close to getting their agenda finalized if Hillary had won. I mean, that's how close it was. I mean, this is how the, you see the Kavanaugh hearings. This is how the left act when they're not in power. Can you imagine how they'd be if they were in power? It would be monstrous. So, um, it would be a lot, they want it a lot faster and they've had a lot more of a head start. And I believe if it wasn't for social media, if it wasn't for the internet, they'd already be mostly in charge. Uh, Rachel Gerard says, Steph, thanks for all of your amazing work. I went back to my partner. I have a son with him as a result of your work on single mothers. Oh, I am glad to hear that. You know, assuming that he's not some evil, nasty, vicious guy who was produced by gynocentrism in the past, I would... Um, uh, I hugely recommend that as a plan. You know, assuming you can work things out and get to a reasonably positive relationship, fantastic. Good for you and good for your kids, of course, right? Cassie says, this channel has helped me win, helped me win so many arguments. Can I tell you a guilty secret? <laughs> um, I have to watch this tendency of myself. You know, let me know if this hits you guys as well, but it certainly does hit me. Here's my little guilty secret. I love winning an argument. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's better than sex, but it's not far behind. Like, just in terms of, like, the the when you get a really good, boom, you get a really good argument in. I mean, it's it's that Jordan Peterson, Kathy Newman moment where it's like, ha, gotcha. You know, there is this, like, mm, it's good. It's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. Of course, it's personal victory, you know, chest-thumping alpha gorilla stuff, but it is also a pushback against irrationality, the kind of irrationality that can really lead to uh, evil. Oh, that's a, that's a chilling comment. The motto, the motto of modern Western women, abort and import. Woo. Oh, I'm not saying you're wrong, but it's cold, man. It's cold. All right, let's uh, see here. Um, Ethan Long says... I'm not overly familiar with you or your work. How would you describe yourself and what you do? Well, I'm a philosopher. Hi, Ethan. Uh, thank you for the uh, super chat. Uh, I am a philosopher. So I work with a relentless focus on empiricism in that the evidence of the senses trumps all hypotheticals. So we come up with conjectures or hypotheses about how the world works in terms of physics or medicine, science, uh, biology, and philosophy, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it's the same approach as you come up with hypothesis. The hypothesis has to be rational because you're trying to describe things that happen in reality. Reality is objective and rational, uh, which we get through the evidence of the senses. So all of your ideas about the world have to first be checked for internal consistency. So they have to be rational. They have to be 
uh, consistent with themselves. They can't be rank, rampant self-contradictions, right? So in physics, it would be kind of the argument that if you said, well, gases, when heated, both expand and contract at the same time, or gravity is the force that both attracts and repels matter based on mass simultaneously, you'd say, well, it, it can't be both. Or if you have an equation that says, uh, if I assume that the number one is the same as the number three, and you go forward from there, then you have a contradiction, and you can't, uh, you can't go forward. So rational arguments bolstered with empirical evidence uh, is the way that I work, and uh, I have been doing that for twelve years. Um, won't be long now till we're at a million subscribers, which is very, very cool. Because you know, people say, "Well, there's other people who have many, many more subscribers," and that's true. But the reality is. It's not quantity, it's quality, right? So you remember I said I wanted you to like me and I was going to use praise. It's not just praise. Uh, it is a, you guys are the people who are going to shape the future. You guys are the people who are going to make the future into the image of reason and evidence because you are the smart people. You are curious and interested in all of that. So uh, Jamie B says, is it the sex or the argument or is it just all around releasing the hormone? As beings, we have one desire to release the hormone. Uh, yeah, I mean, there is the dopamine and all the kind of happy joy juice that floats around in our brain, but there's honorable ways to get it, and there's dishonorable ways to get it. So, uh, someone says, How can I know I am an NPC, a non player character? Um, just look down at your keyboard. If somebody else is typing, you may in fact be uh, an NPC. All right, let's have a look here. Oh, didn't even notice that. Uh, Jane Reynolds says, how do we wake people up? Every time I try and explain what is really going on, you can see people glaze over or look at you <laughs> as though you are mad. Thankful for your advice. Well, Jane, that's a great question. It goes back to the earliest philosophers, even the pre-Socratics, but Socrates certainly had this. So the way that I approach it is it's very much like triage. And what I mean by that is so in, um, uh, if, if you're in a war and you're a doctor and there's lots of injured soldiers coming in, some big battle, or, you know, this also occurs uh, if you are an ER doctor and there's been some multi-vehicle crash or some people coming in. So there's people you can't save. And like, even, even if you had a massive team, right? So, you know, some guy comes in and, and he's bleeding out and he's like minutes from death, you can't save him. So then you move on. There's people who you can save, but if you don't deal with them right away, they'll still be okay. So people who've got, you know, big gashes and cuts, you can patch them up and they'll be okay until you can get a transfusion or sew them up. They'll, they're stabilized. And then there's the people who you can save, but only if you act now. And that's sort of my approach as well. So people who are kind of curious, kind of thinking about things, they're going to come to some pretty interesting and reasonable conclusions over time. The people who you can really have a strong effect uh, those are the people that, and, and people who have influence, you know, I tell you a story. This is from years and years ago. I had a, a friend and he worked in media and I used to have a lot of arguments with him or debates with him. And I remember the one that finally got through to him, oddly enough, was based on uh, zoning, zoning of all things, right? So, you know, how the government says you can build here, you can't build here, this type of house, that type of house. And... The reason that I spent some, and if he finally got it, it's like, oh, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if cities just kind of grew organically based upon negotiation and, and so on, right? And the reason that I was willing to work with him so long is that he was an influencer. He was somebody who was 
in the media, and this is like 20, 25 years ago. So um, there was no alternative way to get things out. And I thought, you know, I'll spend some time on him because he's got a magnifying effect. Like if I argue with him, then he's in the media, so he may influence thousands, millions of people down the road. So try to find the people who have the most influence because most people kind of remember, just look, look out through history. How many people are remembered? How many people have an influence? How many people have an effect? Very, very, very few. And the more abstract the field, the fewer people have an effect. So most people, it doesn't matter if you change their mind because their mind will just be changed by whoever else comes along. And if they don't have, like if they don't have gifts of eloquence, and I hate to put it this way too, if they're not, even their looks matter. Like if you can, if you can wake up a beautiful woman, that is better all other things being equal than waking up an ugly old man. Like, I'm sorry, that's just the reality of the way that life works and how knowledge gets transferred. Um, you know, I was thinking I did this Cheryl Crow thing the other day and I was listening to a couple more of her songs the other day. And um, my friend, the communist, that's, um, um, I'm gonna, I'm some, some puppy song about uh, the son. My friend, the communist. So if you have a very beautiful woman, Cheryl Crow, a very beautiful woman, talking about my friend, the communist, that's a way of giving people a positive view of communism. These things are not accidental. So if someone's in a position of influence, if someone has great eloquence, if somebody's very good looking, then, you know, I hate to say it, but they are more worth spending time trying to influence. Now, of course, everyone knows that. So other people will try and influence them more as well. So, all right, Bill Hoover. No question, but I just wanted to say thank you very much. Mafils, thank you for the super chat. He says, your view on this, the Kavanaugh shite show will destroy the leftists in the midterms and not prove Freud's theory of humanity's death wish, a.k.a. Republican cowardice. Oh. Yeah, you know, seeing this uh, insanity around Kavanaugh, there's like rank, vicious evil. It, 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 it's one of these real bifurcating lines. Like it really splits things in two. You know, it's like those, uh, you ever see those cooking shows? Like they slice and dice cucumbers or peppers or something like that. And then, you know, they separate them for, I guess they're going to put them in two different pots or something like that. This is one of these cleaver separation. So if you are pro denied allegations, you understand? These are not just unfounded allegations. These are, Denied allegations. So Blasey Ford, every single one of her witnesses says, no memory of it, never went to that party, didn't happen. Her best friend says, well, I, uh, I, I never went to a party with her. We, I mean, we never met Kavanaugh, right? So these are not unfounded allegations. This is not he said, she said. There's been an investigation. And uh, I was reading that the Democrats have tried to bring something against Kavanaugh in Maryland, got kicked out because the investigation has been done. The investigation has been done, and uh, it's denied. These are not just unfounded allegations. These are denied allegations. They're as false as false can be. You say a bunch of people witnessed this, and they all say it never happened. That's it. You're done. It's as false as false can be in these kinds of situations. So, and even if you say believe women, well, it's a woman who denies what Blasey Ford says. So, so anyone who can't see that is a deranged, useful idiot 
for an increasingly violent leftist paradigm. Like, it's just it, right? I mean, it's just it. It's just it. So uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it doesn't just destroy the leftists, but it also destroys relationships. I'm really, I'm really hoping that because, I mean, I know that uh, I get in trouble for saying this stuff, but too bad I'm over wanting everyone to like me. Uh, the only thing I have to be responsible for is the truth of my own conscience, fundamentally. So... I hope that people sit down with each other and say, no, 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 you can't just say believe women because it's a woman who's denying this allegation. You can't just have these crazy things where uh, a woman can make allegations that she can't remember the date, she can't remember the location, she can't remember the year, she can't remember how she got home, she can't remember how she got there, she can't, come on. And then everyone who she says was there denies it. You can't have that as the basis of any kind of rational system of law or any kind of judgment of a human being. You cannot have that. It is evil to have that as a standard. Okay. So other people are going to say, well, I believe her anyway. Well, then you're just a horrible human being with no sense of justice or proportion. And you hate men because we all know this is only going to be applied against men, right? So you hate men. We get it. You hate men. And uh, if you're a horrible human being who hates men, and wishes to have wishes to give women the unholy power to destroy a man based upon disproven allegations. Like I don't want to have anything to do. I, I'm a man. Like you, you people, you got to start taking this personally because it's really freaking personal. You have to start taking this personally because it's your father, it's your son, it's your uncle, it's your husband, it's your brother. It, it's you if you're a man. Like someone, someone's still pro-Blazy Ford or the other women. I mean, the, the last woman, uh, well, you can look her up yourself. But uh, if you're still pro all of this stuff, then you want to give women the power to destroy men's lives. You, would, you really want that. Oh, that's just really, really nasty. And I would not be friends with somebody who wants men thrown in prison on a woman say so. I just like, I won't do it. I won't be friends with someone like that because you can. If they want you to be thrown in jail on a whim or have your life destroyed, your reputation destroyed on a whim, if they want to abandon the rule of law and expose you to the most horrifying kinds of abuses and slanders and predations, no, 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 no. I guess uh, <laughs> you'll need to build another front door to help people out. Uh Oh, let's see, I could squint at that. Peter Bomk. <laughs> ah, Bomk. Peter Bomk. I'm sorry if I got that wrong, but it's not the easiest thing to, to say. No question, just saying thank you, Stefan, for me and my family. Thank you very much. I appreciate your support. And what do we got here? I don't even know what that is. Hang on a sec. Mr. Keys, 1983. <gasps> 1983. 1983? Why does that seem like such a familiar year? Were you anywhere in Maryland? Did you live anywhere near Chevy Chase in 1983? Did you see anything that may have uh, occurred in that situation? I don't know. Dun, dun, dun. And uh, that is, uh, yeah, that's very kind. Uh, thank you, uh, by the way, for that very kind, uh, fine support. Jamie B., says, the first six years of your life is how you define yourself, love yourself. Ages seven to 12 is how you define society, love others, 
society. At 13, you go through puberty and the cycle starts all over. I'm going to, I mean, I'm trying to figure it out. My brain is tired. It's 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I've been more than that. Uh, by the way, I just wanted to ask, I'm trying a new uh, new connection here. How's the uh, how's the old video looking? I'm actually afraid to check it because it's going to eat up. <laughs> it's going to eat up bandwidth. Uh, how is the, um, yeah, how is the connection looking? It's good. Sweet. I look good. Yeah, I'd like to, um, is, is it, it's still like what, like, I don't know, 10 frames a second or something like that. So, because, you know, this way people are going to have a tougher time uh, freeze framing me and claiming that I'm a reptile. So <laughs> thank you very much. Forrest Grump. Oh, that's pretty funny. It says, keep up the good work. Thank you. I certainly, uh, I certainly plan to. Very kind. Oh, still a little blurry? Needs more forehead. <laughs> you know it's an eight head, right? You know that it's an eight head. And I don't, is there a way to pause? What is, there's, there's buttons down here I've never even looked at. Is there a way to pause the chat? Stefan cares more about an American rapper than the people of Europe. Well, um, I get the frustration that comes out of that, and I um, I sympathize. The idea that these are all unrelated, that if I'm talking about Kanye West, that these are all unrelated. Uh, so let me tell you how talking, if you want to know the threads, let me tell you how uh, talking about uh, Kanye West is, in fact, helping the people of Europe. So when Kanye West talks about The Democrat plan through the welfare state to destroy the family, well, um, he what he does is he begins to get people to question the virtue and value of the welfare state. And the welfare state is the fundamental devil's bargain that is destroying the West. The welfare state is the fundamental devil's bargain that is destroying the West. Not only does it mean that women no longer have to choose good male providers, but it also means that women don't have to have kids to take care of them in their old age because, you know, social security pension is all part of the welfare state. And um, uh, it also, this is the the giant crate of gold that brings the Bilbo Baggins of Africa to Europe, right? I mean, because they get all this money through the welfare state. So I just wanted to point out that anything that is helping to undermine the virtue, automatic virtue and value of the welfare state is a good thing for the people of Europe. Because if you can't get rid of the welfare state, it's a losing battle against immigration for sure. All right, so uh, what else do we have here? Joe Long, thank you very much. Philip Book, you're an inspiration to any serious philosopher. Thanks for everything you do. Well, thank you very much, my friend. I really, really appreciate that. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm so sorry if we get this all wrong, too. But this has more umlauts than a heavy metal album cover. Needs Vitz Vushtek. Needs Vitz Vushtek. Music-related. What would be your advice for a blues folk musician having a hard time returning to writing and recording Music. That is very interesting. From high up on my lonely cloud, far down can I see. A barren plains, my heart to search for one to comfort me. That was a song I wrote. I actually, I think I wrote one or two songs in my life, but back when I was um, uh, hanging out and uh, a, a rather unhelpful member of a garage band. <laughs> but anyway, um, hard time. So, the I mean, the question for me in terms of motivation is always somewhat similar. And why are you doing something? If you're doing something just for you, it is an unsustainable situation. So let's say that you have, I'm sure you do, have good talent, 
for a blues and folk. And these are two music forms, particularly blues, that I absolutely adore. So if you have a real talent with this stuff, then I guess what I would say is, what are you doing it for? If you're doing it for money, well, you know, maybe you make some money and so on. And, and then where does your motivation go? If you're doing it for fame, well, you're going to become famous. And then when does your motivation go? If you're doing it for virtue, for helping the world become a better place, for making things better, then there's no shortage of evil in the world. There's no shortage of things that you can do to fight. And it's always struck me, and, you know, maybe there's songs that I've missed in this, but it's always struck me as kind of sad how banal most lyrics are. It, it's really, it's really kind of sad. And that if you put a great, powerful lyric together with a song, since the 60s protest songs, there really hasn't been much really good political stuff to me in, in music as a whole, just, you know, for revolution, you know, it's, <laughs> it's funny. Okay, this is, this is a little bit. So back in the day, way back in the day, when I was working up north, I had a um, pen pal relationship with a woman. And she was sending me, she was really into Les Mis. She really got me into uh, Les Miserables, the, the, the musical. And she was sending me these very funny letters. And one of them I remember was... Um, she was quoting the Beatles, you know, you say you want a revolution, well, you know, and, you know, she was like, ah, that's, you know, kind of bland. And then she was like, quoting to me the lyrics of Les Mis, you know, red, the blood of angry men like this. That's a real revolutionary song. And it was took a little while for me to realize that Cole Wilkinson was the real revolutionary singer, uh, not John Lennon. But anyway. So having really good lyrics would be, I mean, where, where's the big powerful anti-communist song? And I think the way it works is this. Let's say someone comes up with just some fantastic tune. Like I'm sure you guys know the history. I've talked about it before on the show, the history behind uh, yesterday. Oh, yeah, on a singy day today. But um, so Paul McCartney just woke up with the tune for yesterday floating around in his head. And he kept saying to people, do you know this song? Because I could, it's one, it's, I, I'm sure I know this from somewhere. And he actually had, uh, he wrote down just some goofy lyrics, um, uh, scrambled eggs. Oh, my dear, you have got lovely legs. That was his, like, just nonsense. And then he finally ended up writing the song. But let's say you have a great tune like yesterday. If you want to put an anti-communist spin on that tune, I think your producers are going to say, well, why would you want to get political? It's such a great song. It's going to make you a billion dollars. If you get political, half the population is going to hate it and blah, blah, blah. So I think that's how really great tunes get co-opted to the most bland stuff like, baby, I miss you. I love you. You're haunting my dreams. Anyway, so... Uh, just be in it for something really, really powerful. And I think that will be uh, pretty, uh, pretty good. The, so uh, James Lehman, James Lehman Lehman says the economy and social hierarchy inside the world of Warcraft is similar to the real world. You think it can be studied as social ecosphere. I never played World of Warcraft. I was a Skyrim guy because I guess I'm just uh, an isolationist or something, but I have heard about that stuff, but I'm not uh, knowledgeable enough to figure it out. But I'm sure it would follow similar patterns. Uh, normal science, thank you very much for your uh, question. Bill Hoover, I believe uh, you're part of an institution. No, I'm just kidding. How much of today's political climate is due to McCarthy's failed attempt to expose the commies? What do you think about Trump connection to McCarthy through Roe 
Roy Cohen, is there an international commie cabal that is using the USA to enrich themselves? Well, of course, there's an international commie cabal. Communism is international by nature. Yes, uh, McCarthy worked extraordinarily hard to try and expose the communist rot in the uh, in the West and uh, largely. Well, so, and Coulter's argument is McCarthy sacrificed himself and he died young, basically from stress, but uh, that, that McCarthy sacrificed himself to hold off the spread of communism for a generation in America. And I think it's a pretty powerful argument. He did as much as humanly possible. Um, he took uh, levels of abuse that are hard to imagine. Certainly in the internet age, it's hard to imagine the levels of abuse because we have the right of reply in the internet age, right? I mean, this is what I really saw. The media interactions that I had, like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years ago, uh, uniformly you know, terrible and, and horrible and, and just wicked. And there was very little right of reply. Like nobody knew my channel and all that. So when it, come, when it came to going to Australia with Lauren Southern and, and New Zealand, we did a bunch of interviews and we just threw a cell phone on and, and had a little recorder on the desk so we could publish the whole interview. 20 to 30 times the number of people saw the whole interview that we had recorded compared to the actual stuff that they produced, uh, the articles and the, the hit pieces and so on. So there is some right of reply now that did not exist before, and that is kind of a different situation. McCarthy didn't have that right of reply. I mean, he um, he ended up suing, I think it was a newspaper for, for slander and one, but nobody ever knows that kind of stuff. It doesn't. It didn't play because he didn't control the media. So, yeah, there is a. Um, uh, but to to for McCarthy to have succeeded, for for McCarthy to have succeeded, so much would have had to change politically. So, how did communism spread in the West? Well, through movies, through 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 television, and prior to that through academia. And uh, I mean, the history is, is fairly clear that the communists uh, who lost against the national socialists in a sort of organized crime turf war, you know, like one house against another in, in the mafia, the collectivists and the communists who lost against the National Socialists in Germany, a lot of them fled to the United States where they got jobs in academia uh, during and after the war. After the war, the government program called the GI Bill, which paid for universities, uh, university education for returning soldiers, it was really terrible. So they went overseas to fight communism in many ways, or to fight collectivism in the form of National Socialism. They went overseas to fight it, and then they got back, and the government paid for them to be indoctrinated in collectivism in, in the universities in America, it was, um, I mean, that's horrible when you think about it, that you watch people get their heads blown off, get their limbs blown off, get wounded for life to fight against collectivism in, uh, in Europe and uh, the Pacific Islands and Italy, uh, well, Italy's in Europe and, and Japan and so on. And then what happens? Well, you get indoctrinated into collectivism through your universities when you return. And even if you don't, other powerful intellectuals do. And then the State Department, largely because of the communists infesting it, hand over China to Chairman Mao in 1949. And with um, 
with Russia and with China, close to a third of the world's population groaning under communist dictatorships. And the communism has only embedded and spread through that. Uh, I think it was, what, 40,000, something like 30 or 40,000 communists uh, teaching in American universities. Um, it's horrible. Mm. That reminds me, um, I feel free to throw another super chat in if you feel like uh, hijacking the big chatty forehead. Um, somebody made a good point, uh, unverified, but it's an interesting point, which is that um, one of the reasons why it's tough to allow students who are groaning under horrendous, literally medieval surf-like conditions of uh, entrapment through their student loans, like you can't even discharge the student loans in bankruptcy. One of the reasons why it's tough to push back against that, of course, a lot of these student loans have been bundled into larger instruments to be traded. And those instruments command a higher premium because the student loans are considered to be undischargeable, which means people basically have to pay them forever. And because of that, what has happened is if you start unwinding these uh, student uh, loans, if you give people the capacity to discharge the student loans through bankruptcy, then that's going to flow outwards like the housing crisis. And given that the student loan debt is like, what, $1.5, $1.6 trillion these days, uh, it's going to be pretty tough to um, uh, to unwind that kind of stuff. So it's a very interesting point that that it's the damn financial system that's entrapping the students as well. Joe Long says, is it time for imperialism and colonization again by the Western world? Too many countries are failing and become a burden to the Western world. Any way to do this humanely? Uh, no. No, imperialism, colonialism were terrible. Were terrible all around. It did not civilize most of the world as a whole. And it was a huge burden on the um, domestic population, which I can completely understand. So no, they just got to have, you know, tend your own garden to go back to, um, uh, to go back to Voltaire, as I was talking about earlier. No, that's not the way to do it. Uh, another super chat says, you so effing sexy. Well, um, that's not an argument. It's not wrong, but it's not an argument. Uh, thank you. Uh, Kenny O says, can you go out and do more sidewalk conversations throughout the US, Canada and other places uh, you weren't? We'll pay for it. Well, that's very nice of you. I'm, I'm not sure with that donation much though i appreciate it you're actually going to pay for it but um i i appreciate that i did enjoy those see i mean i look at the numbers let me okay this is a big a big sort of topic so i guess i'll bury it right in here in the middle of a in the middle of a live stream but look i get a lot of messages like dude can you come to my country can you come to my town can you come to this can you come to that can you and you know i don't mean to nag you guys but don't be so passive if you want something to happen make it happen. If you want me to come to the Netherlands, make it happen. Just make it happen. Be a leader. Sit down, figure out a venue, make sure you can lock it in, figure out how to get me there, figure out how to make it worth my while, you know, and I'm not like I'm going to charge a billion dollars for a speech or anything like that, but, you know, just type in, oh, it'd be nice if this happened. It's like, yeah, it's like me saying, be nice if, if there was a philosophy show that really helped people learn philosophy. It's like, just go make it happen. So as far as the sidewalk conversations, well, I enjoyed doing them and it was fun. But the, uh, you know, one, one of the challenges is um, it didn't do that many views in terms of videos. I think it 
like, I mean, you guys only see, well, you see usually less than half of the views that are going on on the channel because there are the views that occur on YouTube, but then more views usually are occurring. FDRpodcast.com, if you don't watch the, if you don't just want to listen, I want to watch, then come to YouTube. If you want to listen, that's fine. Obviously, go to FDR Podcasts. And they didn't do that well, you know? I mean, I thought they were fun to do, and, and I appreciated people's conversations, and I think I did a good job. But um, it's uh, it wasn't that compelling to the YouTube audience. So if anybody has any particular thoughts or ideas about how to do that, uh, please come to Poland for Independence Day. Um, I would uh, love to hear more. I would love to hear more. All right. What do we got here? Normal Science is back again. Why, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, you know, one more donation and uh, you get a lap dance. How uh, have our foundational institutions been affected by postmodernism and identity politics? What evidence would you provide? Yes, they have. And if you want to just go read the course syllabi, all of that kind of stuff, uh, then um, you can do that. Uh, if you want to just go and audit a class, you can go and sit in. You can raise questions and objections to find out how prevalent these ideas and arguments are. And the reason you know that postmodernism and identity politics have infected foundational institutions is they kind of have to. Because if you say there's no such thing as truth, there's no such thing as rationality, there's no such thing as objectivity, then you should not try and have any moral arguments at all, right? Obviously, because it wouldn't make any sense. So the fact that they're in there making these moral arguments means that they've told people there's no such thing as reason so that rational people will not oppose their spread of power. So, uh, Jamie B says, is it bad that I fantasize about being spanked by you? Well, um, I guess I would say that it's good insofar as you can look deep into your history and try and figure out where these fantasies may be coming from. And on a more serious note, you know, there is, uh, uh um, an autoerotic aspect to, spanking uh that i just think is kind of weird and creepy it's been talked about by people before so it is an opportunity to perform a self-examination to figure out where these spanking fantasies come from if they are in fact real but anyway all right uh, alchemy 5150 wait are you named after the rush album all right I consider myself a student of objectivism and Ayn Rand, and yet I have always been interested in the paranormal and ghost hunting as a hobby what is your view on such phenomena thank you I think I've actually wanted to do an entire show on ghosts, but uh, actually I want to do a whole series on mythological creatures and why we believe in them. You know, like vampires are our analogy for sociopaths, right? Um, they, uh, they can't see themselves in a mirror. They manipulate others. They feed off other people, not off the natural world. So yeah, that just I mean, it's a way of an, uh, embodying sociopathy in a way that is uh, instructive. But anyway... I think that's interesting. You maybe should call into the show, but um, yeah, there, there, there are no ghosts and there is no such thing as the paranormal. And um, I guess what I would do is figure out where these beliefs came from. It's the same kind of idea, right? Where do these, uh, where do these uh, things come from? Why are you interested in ghosts? Why do you think that there are such things as ghosts? I think that a lot of times ghosts arise in people's minds because they had a relationship that was interrupted by death before they got to say their piece. And they believe it's easier to believe sometimes emotionally that someone's hanging around waiting for you to catch up with them. So figure out if there are any unfinished conversations that you had with people, and then you have to go through the, uh, uh, 
uh, the pain of recognizing that that was not completed in in your life. And and that's painful, but the reason you go through that pain is so that you stop being interested in silly things like ghost hunting. And I'm sorry, that does sound insulting. It's not the emotional drive for it. It's not silly at all, but the way it's manifesting itself is a distraction, I would imagine, from the real emotional issues that are going on. But when you go through the pain of having a relationship interrupted by death before you got to say your piece or ask your piece, and the piece could be, I love you. The piece could also be, I hate you, and terrible things happen, and we need to talk about it. When you go through that pain, you get a renewed commitment to open your heart and mind to the people in your life at the present, right? So. I think that's worth doing. Did you see the body language expert video going around on the Ford testimony? Body language goes to channel. Now, I did. I, I did watch some of it. I did watch some of it. I was a little bit distracted because I was doing something else. I think that stuff is very interesting. I don't know that it's a science. Uh, it probably isn't. But I do think that it's quite interesting. And, you know, the cute face, and if it's the same one that I'm thinking of, like the cute face analysis and all of that. I think the presenter probably needs to be a bit better. Like there was a lot of intro where nothing was happening. There were a lot of gaps. So uh, I think it's very interesting to look at. And uh, I do find the body language. Like there was a guy who analyzed the body language that I had and Lauren Southern had when we were being interviewed by Patrick Gower in New Zealand. And I, I watched it. And it's, I say it's kind of interesting. It's a little surreal, but it was kind of cool. And I'm glad that people are doing it. But um, he was analyzing the body language that uh, was going on. And I thought it was interesting. It's not something that I sort of process, but it was interesting to see somebody else viewing how I move in a particularly challenging confrontation. So I think it's very, very interesting. And uh, I did I did see, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, Dylan, SM, are you voting in the upcoming Canadian election? And if so, who would you choose? Well. Um, I guess I will have to do, I'm sorry for that, and I appreciate the support. I will, uh, I've been spending so much time on U.S. politics at the moment, and um, for those who are confused by that, maybe I'll just do a speech another time, but uh, I get that uh, it's it's a challenge for people. Hey, man, you live in Canada, why are you so obsessed with the U.S.? It's like, well, for a variety of reasons, but um, so the uh, it's next year that uh, our little himbo gets up for re-election and uh, I'm going to be involved for sure. I'm going to be doing stuff. And uh, the conservatives are not that great in Canada. They're really not that great. Uh, they, they certainly have no strength when it comes to immigration, which is the big issue in Canada that Canadians desperately want to see dealt with. Uh, Maxime Bernier has been talking about those um, uh, issues. So I don't have a strong enough, sorry, I got uh, Nose hair is driving me crazy. But I don't have enough information to, I don't know, make any kind of recommendation. So I'll be doing truth about all this kind of stuff. But it's still a bit early for all of that because not much is going on in Canadian politics. I mean, I did some for the Ontario stuff. So um, I will keep you posted. Uh, Jane Reynolds, do you believe humans have souls? Short answer, no. Long answer, if you look at souls as a metaphor for the depth of our conscious power that goes far beyond the physical, you know, this is like a couple of pounds of wetware in a little bony prison, right? That's it. And the depth and power and complexity of what we're able to achieve. I mean, I don't want to sort of toot my own home, but boy, just look at look at everything that's going on. Like I'm reading the chats and and I'm I'm formulating arguments and ideas and, and all of that and and trying to pace myself. It's uh it's a lot that's going on. And 
I think that the word soul is very powerful because it does capture how much we're able to achieve as sentient conscious human beings that go so far beyond the physical that it really defies any kind of rational description. So, and also our impact on the world can be so much larger than our lives. So I think that it's a very powerful way of talking about it. And I do use the word soul from time to time, but I would not say that we have souls as would be described as an immaterial essence of our personality that survives after death. I think we can survive, of course, in the work that we do in the world. I mean, think of, uh, Think of the long shadow of the gravestone of Socrates and the effect that it's had on Western civilization. It's powerful stuff. So that would be my answer to that. Bill Hoover, welcome back. How does it affect society that in all of history and evolution, today's males are able to survive without being productive members of society? Well, this is the, oh man, Bill, this is a heartbreaking topic for me. So the... I don't like Freud, <laughs> to be perfectly frank, and I'll get to that at some point. But Freud said that uh, love and productive work were the two essences that define successful adulthood. If you have enjoyable, productive, positive work, and you have a reasonable love relationship, then good for you. But um, men work and women reproduce. That's the traditional methodology of survival. And if men don't work and or women don't reproduce, you don't have a society. You just don't have a society. And what has been stripped out of the West is that women no longer have babies and men no longer work. At least a lot of women no longer have babies and a lot of men no longer work. The same thing is happening in Japan. So it's not just a Western thing. And the same thing in, in uh, well, as far as having babies go in China, I mean, they're kind of doomed because they had this one child policy. This fundamentally changed the culture. People just aren't getting back to having two kids anymore. So, uh, it's it's horrible. Uh, it is horrible. You know, productive work is a great joy in life. Being a father is, alongside doing this work in my marriage, the, the greatest experience uh, of, of my life. It is, you know, my daughter is dying to do shows now. She wants to do shows about parenting. And um, it is a, uh, a beautiful, glorious thing. And I, I, I get all kind of uh, moved on, on this Sunday, but uh, it is because of, of of you guys and your support and, and what it is that you do that I, I just, I, I just get to have this amazing life and I thank you so much for it. I mean, I get to spend so much time with my daughter. I get to spend so much time talking about incredibly important things in the world and having a real effect on, on making things better. And um, I just, uh, I'm so grateful for, for that. I, I really don't know how to express it, uh, even though I can be an eloquent guy sometimes, you know, when the spirit uh, moves and shows, but uh, I am I am so uh, so thankful to you guys to allowing me the, the the twin great joys of of great love and productive work. And uh, you guys are the best. You really are just the greatest, and I I hugely appreciate that. So <laughs> thank you very much. All right, uh, Michelle. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Uh, let me just dry my eyes. I can't read the text. All right. Uh, Michael Fanton says, if the GOP loses the midterms and Trump is impeached or loses in 2020, do you have a room for rent over your garage? I think the left insanity will go up tenfold. Your thoughts? Well, it will. If the GOP loses the midterms, Trump uh, is going to be impeached and say, well, why? Well, it doesn't matter. If they've got power, they'll do it. Do you have a room for rent over your garage? You see, don't, as I said this before, I'll say it again. Trump has not solved the problem. Trump has bought a little time. Trump has bought a little bit of time. Maybe. 
Maybe it depends if his second term is about immigration or not. If he can get rid of birthright citizenship, if he can stop immigration, and immigration should just be stopped. Should just be stopped. I mean, it's it's crazy, right? So uh, do I have a room for rent over your garage? Well, I'm not sure if it wouldn't be out of the frying pan into the fire because it really depends what's going to happen in Canada here too, right? I mean, our immigration policy is insane. Got 300,000 people pouring into a very small population every year, mostly from the third world. We've got... Uh, terrorist attacks, attacks and massive increases in crime. And, and uh, it's it's just horrible. It's horrible all around. And uh, we'll do our best. All right. Black Pill says, do you think the cost of ostracism is worth it when it comes to being political on Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, as an individual? Note, I'm in Canada as well. Ah, yeah, you know, it's so funny, you know. This show can be very confusing at times. Because I, I do sometimes, I think the greatest arguments with the most passionate emphasis, and they kind of just doodle themselves along. And then what happens is um, I do a, 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 not a throwaway show, but a show on Serena Williams that, you know, does like a million views and downloads. And it's like, all righty then. <laughs> so I guess we're in with that. And so it's hard to know. In in that Serena Williams video, I said like the the the, the time for play is past. Like we've got so think of of a war. Like if there's a if there was a war, if there was a war, it would be really really tough. If it was a war, it'd be really tough. You'd be separated from your family. You'd go to boot camp. You'd you'd get trained. It would just be it would be crazy, right? And and brutal on your life and on your family and so on. Then there'd be ostracism all over the place. You'd be ostracized from your family because you'd be shipped overseas. You'd be ostracized from everyone if you got your head blown off. And so we do have the opportunity for a relatively peaceful argument at the moment. I mean, it's going to be volatile, but not violent, at least uh, so far. And uh, I think you know, my friend, as well as I do, that if we lose the verbal battle, the battle goes hot. If we lose the verbal battle, the battle goes hot. And when the battle goes hot, um, the opportunity is to lose, to lose everything. So, I would say be uh, uh, it's it's worth the risk, in my humble opinion. All right. Let's see here. Uh, I'm sorry, I've just seemed to have lost some of the uh, super chatty things here. Let me just see if I got all of these. I did, and uh, I know I saw some more. So, hang on just a second. Uh, as I uh, do my wee scrolly, I scroll. Uh, do you think race matters, that all are equal? Uh, you see, again, this is sort of the questions that you need to ask is not what do I think, but what does the science show? And the science shows that uh, on average, again, you can't judge individuals, but on average, uh, race uh, does matter and that there are differences between the races in a wide variety of, of factors from physicality to uh, uh, to IQ, to to a variety of other things, and and health risks and so on, right? ITM International. Oh, it's a super chat with a currency I don't even recognize. Hey, maybe it's from the future. Can I buy all your books with your dedication slash signature? Uh, I, I, um, if you come to one of my speeches, I'll sign them, but I don't have anything set up for that. If yes, how? From where, and from where do you take your patience when you speak with socialists? Well, listen, we all kind of start with socialism, right? To some degree. I mean, if you... Like socialism is um, 
uh, is from each according to their ability to each according to their need. Well, that's just the family, right? I mean, the the parents have the ability and the kids have the need. And so we all kind of, I'm not saying socialism and the family are identical because one is voluntary and one is coercive, one is personal, the other one is, is collectivist. But we kind of all start that way. And I was a socialist. And I still remember very clearly in a conversation saying, well, what Canada needs is a healthy dose of, dose of socialism. When I was 14, I was just thinking the other day, I think I was chatting with Mike Cernovich and, uh, um, about how I became a capitalist at the same time I started working out at the age of 16, which I've now been doing ever since. But anyway, so I'm patient because that's where I started from. That's where we all start from. And people have a lot of propaganda a lot of propaganda and you really can't blame people who didn't build the society for being propagandized by institutions and systems set up long before they were born so it's not they're not bad they're just wrong now once they get good information then they get a moral choice once they get a moral choice then they start to have moral responsibility so when i start with them well, that's fine all right um mr keys ah yes 1983 um you're back he says, I struggle with articulating my thoughts, and I think I might be brain damaged because of that. I always hear it is only social anxiety, but I don't buy that at all. You don't feel, I don't feel very anxious ideas. I struggle with articulating my thoughts. I don't know about, I mean, obviously I don't have any idea about the brain damage. I struggle with articulating my thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I know, like I sit down here and I, I chat with my thoughts. It's always frustrating to me because I think I could do better. It's always frustrating to me because I think I could do better. I always think I could give a better answer. I always think I could give a more compelling analogy. I always think I could find some way to connect the Ethernet of reason to the backjack brain of, of the planet. And I really, even that one could have come out better. Some people don't know what Ethernet is. But I always feel like I could be doing better. I always feel that I could be doing better. And that's just why I keep going because I try to get better. I try to improve. So if it's any consolation, I struggle with articulating my thoughts as well, because what's in here and what I can squeeze out through the narrow aperture of my chompy mouth is not the same thing at all. So I think everyone does. So maybe your thoughts aren't very clear. I mean, don't like I, I sit down and do this, but I mean, I've been thinking about philosophy for 36 years. So 36 years. If you're a jazz pianist and you've been playing fairly constantly and, and practicing and and you've been professional for 12 years and and you've taken years of training like you're going to be able to just do miraculous stuff like i remember seeing this pianist many many years ago when sting played toronto i think it was the dream of the blue turtles tour and he was like his piano was like in front of him and there was one behind him and he was playing both and i was just like oh, god I mean, it's incredible right it looks like magic so maybe your thoughts need to be more articulated within yourself, more organized, more rational. And then it may just be a matter of practice. I didn't just pop out of the womb with the ability to articulate like this. I've had a lot of practice. And see, I've done not just the articulation in the philosophical realm, which is what you guys are mostly uh, aware of, but I did lots of improvisational theater training in the, the National Theater School in Montreal, Canada, uh, which is very it's the elite institution in Canada for acting. So I did a lot of that stuff, a lot of body work uh, to be comfortable within my body, to know how to articulate, not just, you know, talking head stuck against a white wall, but, you know, the Italian gestures, which don't come particularly natively to we Brits. But, um, uh, and I was in the business world, you know, I gave motivational speeches to employees and I would go out and give sales pitches and I manned booths at, uh, 
trade shows and talk to people endlessly about the values and virtues of our software. And I just, I was in marketing. So I've just had a lot of experience in this. So, you know, that old saying, it's an old, it's an old joke. It's an old joke. And it goes something like this. Some guy comes up to, uh, to a native in New York and says, do, do you know how to get to Carnegie Hall? And the native New Yorker says, practice, practice, practice. And uh, yeah, that's kind of true. So just keep practicing. And what you can do, of course, is you can speak into your cell phone, hear it back, find out where the, like I was practicing speeches before I even uh, uh, came, came online, before I even started recording them. All right, let's see here. What else do we have? We're uh, close to be done. Uh, we adore you too, Stefan. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, right, I think. Do you think the alternative right is a necessary opposition to leftist anti-white politics? That's a very good question. I'm not sure, again, alternative right, I don't really know what that means. Um, I, I do think that science, facts, reason, and evidence are the best way to oppose irrational arguments. So when people are constantly pushed down, then they will push back. And a lot of times they'll push back in a similar manner to which they were oppressed. And the way that you push back is not by using the tactics, certainly not using the violent tactics, not using the abusive tactics, but you push back hard with reason and evidence because otherwise you're just trading one gang for another. You know, like, uh, yay, we beat the communists, say the Germans in uh, 19, uh, late 1920s, and then you get the Nazis. So <laughs> we do have a bit of a troll in here, don't we? All right, uh, what do we got here? Uh, thoughts on Bitcoin Cash? I like it. <laughs> what can I say? I like it. I think it's lightweight. I think it's it's cool. Um, I, I'm 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 strong on cryptos. Uh, I'm strong on the future of cryptos enormously. Uh, right. Uh, oh, actually, did I even say the names of those people? I apologize if I didn't. Well, one is Fishbone. The other one's Tao Jones, which I'm going to assume is not. All right. So Henri Bogdanovich says, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Thank you for everything. Do you know, this is a funny thing. This is a funny thing. I actually very strongly remember writing down in science class in like grade eight or grade nine, egg came first. So I don't know, remember why, but I just, it was obviously part of the lecture or whatever, right? So yeah, there is, uh, <laughs> there is that. All right, so we had another question here that I wanted to get to. Uh, Little Ogre says, I'm a black girl. I watch a show a lot, but it just seems you look at black people as inferior. I'm for facts, but my IQ is 136. Average doesn't mean all. You, young lady, are entirely correct. And uh, I certainly have never, ever said that black people are inferior. I don't believe that black people are inferior. I don't believe in any racial superiority or inferiority. That doesn't mean that everyone is the same. I think of the human race like a big band. You know, there's some people better at trombone, some people better at rhythm guitar, some people better at drums and so on. That's how we all make our music together. So I hope that uh, I, I do apologize if you ever got the impression that uh, I look at black people as inferior and you are a stone genius and you will do very well in your life. And uh, I hope that um, people don't get that impression. Uh, when I do talk about race and IQ differences, it is important. It is important to talk about because I think it's a way of removing racial tensions and rage and having us have productive conversations together. 
So uh, I'm glad that you watched the show, and I hope that you understand. I never in my wildest dreams would ever imagine uh, saying that black people are inferior or Hispanics are inferior or anything like that. Uh, there's differences, but differences does not mean inferior. Everybody has the same rights. Everybody has the same opportunities. Everybody has the same responsibilities. But I still can't deny the basic facts of what science is telling. And I, I don't like being blamed for something that I didn't have anything to do with, which are racial IQ differences. They're facts. I don't have anything to do with them. It's not my fault. And I don't like being blamed for it, just as you wouldn't like being blamed for something that wasn't your fault either, right? You understand that, right? All right. Somebody said, uh, somebody says, uh, oh, I'm going to pronounce this F-U-C-K <laughs> has said, when the time for arguments is over, can you wear a military turtleneck with an eye patch and become punished, Stefan? <laughs> oh, when the time for arguments is over, I'm hoping to keep that from happening. Really? Uh, Caesar did nothing wrong. Uh, this is a quote from Kanye that I can't verify. So I'm not going to read it, but I do appreciate the support. Uh, Jeremiah 2, uh, sorry, Jeremiah True says, you have said, and I'm paraphrasing, the mental illness doesn't exist, specifically in reference to medications. Do mental disorders exist? Thank you. Yes, so I do have a theory of mental illness out there on the web where I basically take a philosophy, a philosophical approach. Yeah, if you don't know how to think reasonably, uh, if you're so, like, if you don't, know how to think rationally, you can't connect to reality. If you can't connect to reality, you're easily pushed over by social pressure, and then you lose respect for yourself, and you become unhappy, and, you know, six million different bad things can happen from there. So it's a great chat. What a lovely way to spend some time on a Sunday. Thank you guys so much for dropping by. Really, uh, it's wonderful. It's great to see thousands of you enjoying the conversation and the troll. Um, <laughs> uh, right here. Um, what have we got here? Uh, let's see here. So Resbit says there are hundreds of times more whites than Jews, but Jewish geniuses somehow outnumber white geniuses. Thoughts. YouTube is, word, is using word filters. I, you know, I don't know the numbers. Uh, I don't know the numbers, but um, is there a cultural element? Well, sure. Is that cultural element influenced by the prevalence of high IQ among Jews? Well, sure. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know the math, so uh, if you want to give me a link, I'll have a look into it. But I don't really have a good way to uh, to figure that out. All right, here. Um, so, uh, Kenny O says, well, something else. Uh, Neil Gorsuch was more free market, but no accusations. Why so? That's a, that's a good question. Now, I have heard that there were a couple of accusations against Neil Gorsuch, but I'm sure that that's... Uh, uh, not uh, not true, but uh, let me just have a look here. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but let me just double check something here. I should really know this. Um, I think that one of the challenges is that, um, yeah, so he's Catholic too, right? So one of the challenges, of course, is that um, it's the tipping balance. Like, where does the Supreme Court go? And is there any um, concern about the 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 Supreme Court going totally nuts on a um, on a Catholic uh, who's going to switch things over to possibly threatening Roe v Wade, so that is uh, my my guess. But I again don't have any uh, strong arguments as as to why. Philip Book says, my mom divorced when I was two. How does this affect a person's development? I'm 25 now, and my mom raised us four alone while being an alcoholic. Wish I had more words to type. Thanks again. I am so sorry. Um, 
I, I like this terrible, I mean, to be raised. Alcoholism, I mean, I, I don't want to go off on a whole rant here. I really, really hate alcohol. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll have a, I have a light beer like once a week or whatever. It's nice when it's hot out, but you know, it's alcoholism is really tough. It's so hard when you're, ch- when your parent is a child and, and a, an irresponsible child, it's really, really hard. So yeah, I think it does have a big effect on a person's development and, um, I'm trying to maintain my enthusiasm for talk therapy after <laughs> seeing some latest revelations about the psychological profession, but uh, I still uh, do recommend. And I've got a show called How to Choose a Great Therapist, which is just my particular thoughts on how to do it. But I think that's the kind of stuff. Do do that kind of work on yourself. And don't be afraid to get mad at your parents. You know, it's it's a very healthy and important thing to do, if if they deserve it, of course. All right. So, um, uh, Bill Hoover, thanks for coming back. Uh, he says, I feel that Martin Luther's videos, sorry, <laughs> videos, let me try that again. I feel that Martin Luther's idea is that power goes from God to the individual was the pivotal moment in Western civilization. I think Luther is the foundation of all Western achievements. What is your thoughts about that? I actually want to do a whole video on Martin Luther. I did a whole course on him. Well, not just but like Protestant Reformation and so on in college. I think it was at the graduate school level, if I remember rightly. So let me hold off on that, Bill, and I'm sorry to not give you a great answer, but let me hold off until I've refreshed myself, but it's on my list of things to do, to do more of a video about that. Uh, I would love to see a debate between you and Yaron Brook, though he doesn't seem to be a fan of yours. For an objectivist, he seems to lean left. I like Yaron Brook, and I love objectivism, and uh, I would love to have a debate with him. Night Sun says, love to talk to you sometime. In four months, I'll be 40, and half our siblings have gotten married. Most recent one was in Cuba. Should I give up? No, not at 40. Maybe at 80, but no, don't don't give up. Uh, and yeah, we still have a call-in show, so. Uh, the Saturday Tech Channel with Music and Gaming says, would it ever be appropriate to call in just to check if my life is going okay, as my life is mostly okay, but I could be wrong? Well, uh, if if the mood strikes you, I'm always happy to chat. Uh, Henri uh, Bogdanovich says, is there a way to get the old subscriber only shows you used to do? Thank you. I'm not sure that's still on the list. John Lawler says, how does Ford know Kavanaugh? Formal introduced yearbook hearings, DNC? Well, you see, here's the thing, right? I mean, if there is still a shred or two of integrity left in the FBI, then the FBI will be investigating Ford as well. They need to find out who dropped her off, who picked her up. They need to find out. See, here's a funny thing I was thinking about. This is going to be yet another little controversial bomb I'm going to drop on the planet. But if a woman has just been sexually assaulted and you say what's wrong and she says nothing and you can say what happened and she said nothing and you say, how was the party? Nothing important happened. Nothing. She's already lying about sexual assault. So even the women who hold on to it and deny it and 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 falsify it and pretend that nothing happened, they're already lying about sexual assault. And I'm not saying I don't sympathize, I'm just saying that it is an empirical fact. So we shall see uh, if the FBI does anything uh, particularly important with regards to uh, investigating some of the backstory. Like, where is uh, where uh, Christine, where's Christine's uh, family, her Blasey Ford's family? Where Where is her... Um, where, where is her parents? Where are her siblings? Where is everyone standing uh, tall with her and so on? I don't know. All right. Just going to have a quick look, see if there's any other important things to uh, point out uh, before let's close things off for the day. But 
Oh, why did the peanut call the police? It was assaulted. <laughs> Name the revolutions won by pacifism and just argument, one only. <laughs> there are some things that are pretty pretty tough, uh, pretty tough to, to figure out. Uh, would you debate with Turd Flinging Monkey? Uh, isn't he the guy who does reviews of sex toys? Did I get that wrong? Uh, will you ever do a video? Discuss, sorry, SY, SY 1990 says, will you ever do a video discussing how the white culture during the antebellum South has birthed the current black culture? Thanks for your time. I could, but I mean, just go to Dr. Thomas Sowell's book, um, White Liberals and Black Rednecks, White Rednecks and Black Liberals. Oh, that's terrible. I really should know this. And I'm not going to get that wrong. So let me just, uh, let me just get that right. Uh, because uh, it's a great book, and I really should have that. Black Rednecks and White Liberals. It's a collection of six essays by Thomas Sowell. And uh, just go read that, and uh, it's going to be better than anything I could uh, could ever do. Anyone know where the accusers of Roy Moore went after the election? Uh, well, they have... Uh, uh, they have... Uh, they have served their purpose. And so that's that's all, right? And it's it's just terrible. All right. Well, I'm going to, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to make any comments about Ford's neck. All right. So um, thank you very much, everyone. If you'd like to, if you're listening to this later on, then um, you can go to freedomainradio.com slash donate to help out the show. It's most gratefully appreciated. And um, well, we did an hour and a half. I got to tell you, spending time with you guys, the time whoosh, just flies by. So uh, thanks, everyone, for dropping by. It's really uh, wonderful to, to feel the love, to get the questions, and uh, to be amused by the trolls. O always enjoyable. So have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful afternoon. It's the end of the month. So if you'd like to help out the show, freedomainradio.com slash donate. I'm going to show it anyway. Hold on. Uh, I really should keep it a little closer. I uh, hurt my knee a little, so I have a... Uh, I'm just sitting in a chair for a little bit. Uh, the art... Uh, let's do that. The art of the argument available at theartoftheargument.com. You can check that out. Got a little shopping to do, fdrurl.com forward slash Amazon. Love you guys so much. Thank you for a wonderful uh, hour and a half, and uh, have yourself a great, great Sunday. I'll talk to you soon.